We ask students these questions. What do you think would be an ideal salary? What are you most interested in when you think about your career? Your view of money is that it is blank. How important is money to your overall satisfaction in life? In this episode, we are talking about maximizing money for ministry, and we're going to take a look at the research that we have done based on these questions. You'll find out the answers right now. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer, and this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. So we're glad you're with us here on the Thought Factory podcast. Today we're talking about students and money and maximizing money for ministry. We're going to talk about some things today that I don't think I've ever heard anybody in youth ministry talk about, at least when I've been around. So I am really excited. This is really going to help a lot of us as we think about money because we all need it to do what we need to do through life, especially as we think about working with students in ministry. So I'm excited about that. Jason, you threw out some questions that you asked students. I want to know what those answers are. Before we go on, though, we want to remind you that our last episode, we hope that if you haven't heard that, Jason, you referred to it as a historic episode, and it was. It was a major, major announcement, eight years in the making. So we talked about that in our last episode. Go back and listen to that because that has a vision that... um, of something that God is doing across the country with students, that it is going to be historic. And uh, we're excited as we share this with you, really the first audience to hear about this. And you're going to be hearing more through a national campaign in the months to come later this year. But wow, what an episode and uh, exciting to be able to share that with everyone. Speaking of our last episode, it was historic to make that announcement. And you can continue to follow us on any of our social media sites, most likely Facebook, uh, you can find us on Instagram. You can find us um, in the hard-to-reach YouTube channels. Um, you can find us with a blog. There's a blog at neverthesame.org slash blog. So if you want to read about this podcast instead of actually listen, you probably can just hit the pause button and go to the blog and actually read. You can read the stats in a more clear, broader sense. And, and this this is a really a, a more of a stat driven episode. Yes. So this this blog this particular blog post will have numbers and stats because we a lot of our episodes we base around our research with students and one of the things that that's interesting that we're learning about is not only what students are thinking but also what adults think that students are thinking and comparing and contrasting those that data with adults and students. So it's pretty fun. I will be giving more of the answers to the questions that I pose at the beginning of this episode. And those are some fascinating answers. That when you hear what a student says is their ideal salary or what they desire for their, their career, and then what the adults think. And so we, we do look at those numbers and we're going to just speculate. And oh, yeah. This, this is one of the most shocking statistics, and, and it just uh, it's completely incredible to me to hear what students have to say about that question, what is your ideal salary? I just continue to be blown away by their responses to that. In today's episode, I'm just going to get into it. It's, it's going to be fun because Jason and ministry, you know, I jumped back into local youth ministry here for this season right now 
after being uh, leading our youth ministry organization for the last eight years. And so going back into uh, the world of budget constraints in local churches, you know, our youth ministry, honestly, it's a large church, but runs really relatively on a, on a pretty small shoestring budget for the students. And if you're listening to this, you're most likely in that scenario where you're always thinking about budget and how do you maximize the money that you have. And we're going to get really practical and uh, talk about what do you do to make your ministry work financially and, and get specific on some examples and some things that you can do. And I think the theme that we're that you're going to hear throughout this episode is this idea of having an abundance mentality when it comes to money. You know, having an abundance mentality means you may not have an abundance, but but you believe that that God is the God of abundance. And I want to be clear here, we're not talking about a health and wealth thing. You know, we're not talking about a prosperity gospel as it's called. What we're talking about is believing that God has a, a mentality and a, an approach to us that he wants to bless us. He wants to just like a good father is, he wants to take care of his kids, and that's who we are. And so what I've learned over the years, and, and this is something that I think is good to just state right out of the gate here, we're talking about money, is that I've talked to so many youth pastors, and I've been in those shoes where where in a conversation you might talk to, to her or him, and, and they'll say, well, I, I, we just don't have the resources to do that. And I've said that so many times, and I've thought that. And Jason, you and I have talked about that. And I want to be clear in saying this from the beginning. If you find the vision, if you hear the vision, if you see the vision, you'll find the money. You'll find the resources. It's out there. I think most of the time what we suffer is not a lack of resources, but a lack of vision. Money is simply a tool. We recognize that it is something that leverages what we can do. Whether you are at a small church, a large church, a small budget, a large budget, you may be at a small church and it have a a really unlimited budget, but there is always a budget. And what I've found is that whether you have 500, whether you have 5,000, or whether you have 50,000 to work with, you tend to always say it's not enough and you want more. And you tend to look at the number that you've been given and go, man, if I had just a little bit more, I could be able to do this. If I were making double that, I would be able to bless so many more students. And you you aren't satisfied with the amount of money that you have to work with. And so the abundant mentality is going, with the amount of money that I am given, can I leverage it for more? Can I be able to use it in a creative way that maximizes what I can do in the ministry? I'll tell you part of my story is coming out of a large mega church, being a youth pastor with staff and plenty of volunteers and lots of resources at my fingertips. And then starting this organization eight years ago with literally nothing. I had a homemade desk that, Jason, you actually still use. I said, did you actually make it at your home or did you make it in your office? I made it in an office. It so wasn't even it, my so office. It was, it was an office-made It was an office-made desk. I just want to clarify. And, uh, yeah, that's what I had. Some people pitched in and bought me a laptop computer. This is back in 2009. And I started this organization, Never Same, literally by myself with no help at the beginning and I will say this, going from having lots of resources and a budget that was kind of created for me to literally having no salary, no staff, no resources, no budget, just living on whatever happened to, I was able to get a hold of and come in. I, I've learned that, um, that really there's so much that's possible if you have that abundance mentality. The opposite is a scarcity mentality saying, well, I don't have it. We'll never do that. We'll never be able to get there. 
And I can just speak to you from experience. And what's interesting right now is in this phase of my life today, right now at this moment, mentioned being involved in a local church youth ministry and, uh, and really just having very, very limited resources there. And uh, to, to also being in a project here at Never the Same where we're literally raising a million dollars. So I live in these two very different worlds where working with students and in a local church and, and experiencing those constraints and getting creative and also, on the other hand, raising more money at once than I ever have in my life and, and seeing that there's no limit to what God can do if there's a vision to do it. And uh, Jason, you mentioned that. Yeah, it's never enough. I remember meeting um, an executive from the Disney Corporation three years ago, and he said to me that, that he deals with budget constraints. And I thought, what in the world? We're talking about Disney here. They've got unlimited resources. He was saying, no, we're like everyone else. That I think there's maybe that misconception that, well, if I'm at this bigger church or if I'm wherever, it's like the greener grass. You know, you're looking and you go, well, I'm sure they don't have to deal with budget constraints that I do. And, and Jason, you and I, we know that from experiences in the trenches and local churches that We've worked in churches where we had to get super creative, but but there's so much that's possible, and it all begins with our vision and our mentality. I think you can be more creative when you have greater budget restraints, because you start to think, what can I do to overcome these restraints? And when you have a vision for what you are doing, and you're not just simply doing it and just looking at the, the dollar amount that you're given and, and saying, well, I, man, I wish I could make more, but I guess that's just it. When you have the vision, you will be able to find the resources because you that vision is driving you and it's driving you to approach people and say, come on board and support this or uh, you have an opportunity to to partner with us. And whether it's with your time or your resources financially, you will be driven by that that vision to not be held back by the budget restraint. Now, that vision you're talking about, Jason, it begins with priorities. What are your priorities in your ministry and what you're doing with students? So I'll give you an example. You need to decide what's important for you. You may need to even literally write it out. What what priorities do you have? So us is a very concrete example in our organization here when it comes to NTS camp. We do these camps all over the country in the summer. We meet on college campuses. Our biggest budget uh, expenditure is in one line item, and that is adult leaders. Our number one priority in NTS camp is adult leaders, is volunteers from churches. And what that means for us is we cover the cost for every single adult leader to come to NTS camp for free. So a volunteer, so imagine a church from Atlanta, Georgia comes to camp, and they bring 200 students and 20 adults. All those adults are paid for when they come to camp, through our budget, we cover the cost of that because it is our number one priority because what we believe is if those adult leaders come with those students, they're going to build relationships, they're going to go back home, they're going to have that relationship that will continue on the other 51 weeks of the year. And so for us, we have no problem spending that money because it's important to us. In fact, it's number one. Now, what is number one for you in your ministry? And where are you spending the money? And in my youth ministry experience, it has been adult and student leaders has, has always been, for the most part, in my 25 years of youth ministry experience, that's been my number one expenditure 
where I put a lot of my resources um, from my budget into. And we know that there are churches that go, camp is the number one priority. Getting students to go to camp and they figure out ways to to get them there, whether it's fundraising, whether it's approaching potential donors, whether it's offering scholarships and and building in budgets, limiting somewhere else during the year and putting that money towards the camp experience. When you have a mentality of what are you giving me to spend and then you get restricted and you go, oh man, that's all I have. And that's, you tend to have this mentality where it's not enough and, and you aren't pushed forward. But when you have a vision of this is where I'm going, this is what I want to see happen. You go, you ask the question, what do I need to make that happen? And how can I make that happen? And it's easy for us to discuss it, but we also have been in the trenches and we've also had those conversations with ourselves of what do I need to make it happen? And what conversation do I need to have? How do I make that happen? And I, I remember approaching people with means and saying, this is what I need. And they sat across the table and wrote me that check. And it's more of not like I'm trying to grab the money from them because they're rich or they have the means. It's this is the vision that I see and this is why I want X number of students to be going to camp or participate in this or whatever it may be. This is the vision, but I just don't have what it takes financially to get there. Will you come aboard? And I've seen it happen. I've seen God provide in a number of, of situations when you have that vision. Now there's another side, Jason, that is the idea of creating wealth. What do you do to take what you have? So go back to the parable of the talents that Jesus talked about in scripture, where you know he gave one five, one two talents, and one one. Those were financial amounts of money. So he gave, you know, for example, maybe five thousand to one worker, two thousand to another, and one thousand to the other. The one with five and two went went out, invested it, and made more money. How do we do that? Now I know of a youth pastor is a friend of both of ours, um, and uh, and out on the East Coast was a youth pastor and uh, literally had a zero budget for his youth ministry. Now, he had over 100 students in his youth ministry. Now, if you're out there and you're thinking, well, my budget's small, I want you to think about this guy. His name's Todd. Todd worked with over 100 students on a regular basis, on a weekly basis ministry, and had zero budget. And what he was able to do was amazing. He was able to create wealth, and one of the things he did was he um, created this really cool, and that sounds kind of maybe cheesy or old school, but like he had this snack bar. And uh, and I know a lot of the classic youth ministry snack bar things, they're just losing money like crazy. But if you manage it right, you can actually create wealth doing that. But he did that, and he also created a skate shop. And students were really into that there. And uh, created his whole annual budget through that with zero line item from the church. Now imagine doing something like that. Now, Todd could have said, well, we can't go on mission trips, we can't go to camps, we can't do this and that because we don't have money. But instead, what I love about Todd and knowing him is that he got creative and said, all right, what can we do to create wealth, which is a whole other side. So maybe you have an entrepreneur inside of you and uh, you could go that route to create some resources for your ministry. It's the question of, are you a taker of what has been given to you, or are you going to produce and leverage what has been given to you for the ministry that you are finding yourself in? I had my former boss 
when I was a youth pastor, um, say something that has stuck with me ever since. And it relates to fundraising. I was given a budget, but there was a number of opportunities throughout the year to raise funds for the student ministries. And I just did not enjoy doing that. And I'm sure a lot of people that are listening to this that are in that situation where they're like, I just, I don't want to fundraise. I don't want to put another event together where it's raising funds or sitting around and trying to do this event just to raise a few hundred dollars or whatever. I don't, I don't feel comfortable approaching somebody and asking them for money. I remember him going, why didn't you do the, the Christmas tree drop-off fundraiser? And I was like, well, I, I just, I don't know. I didn't want to spend the money to advertise it in the, in the newspaper. And, and he just said, it takes money to make money. So in my mind, I was going, well, I don't have the $200 to spend for the advertisement so that people would know that they can drop their Christmas tree off at our property after Christmas and, and hopes that they would donate to us. He just simply said, it takes money to make money. And I lost out on way more hundreds of dollars that I potentially could have made in the fundraiser because I was restricted in my mind by the 200 that I needed to pay to get it advertised. You know, we know of a, a really, if we mention the name of this church, and we, we won't, but you would, I guarantee you would know this church. It's a very prominent church in the United States, and I know their youth ministry well. They do a summer event for their students, and they create their whole annual budget from the money that they um, generate from their summer event. And uh, that's amazing to me, and, and it shows ingenuity, it shows creativity, it shows a mentality that says we're not going to allow constraints, maybe uh, financial ones, to hold us back from, from what can really happen when it comes to creating wealth. I know recently in our youth ministry that I'm a part of right now, just a few months ago, we did our first time ever uh, winter retreat, and uh, our out-of-pocket cost from our budget was less than $200 for a retreat of about 100 people that went, and we brought in a major recording artist that was with us all weekend as well, like... There's a way to do it. So if you say, well, I can't do a retreat because I don't have a thousand, two, three thousand dollars, you can do it and you can actually even maybe come out ahead. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think sometimes I think, well, you know, I don't want to rob the students or overcharge them. And, and there's definitely a line with that. But there's also a way that you can be really uh, good managers of the resources that you have. And I just want to con- continue to encourage you to think with an abundance mentality, say it can be done. One of the churches that we work with in NTS camp is a church of right around 20,000 attendants. And when we approached them to do a, a deal with them for working together for camp, they said, we can do camp, but it has to be a zero line item. In other words, it can't cost us a dime out of our regular annual budget for student ministries to do a camp with NTS. And they were able to do it with over 400 students that attend camp. And it's not costing them a dime because of the way they do it and because of the way NTS camp is set up. And I know churches that spend um, literally over six figures doing their own camp, large churches. And I think, you know, again, if maybe managed differently, they might be able to not just not spend money, but actually maybe even come ahead in what they're doing. In regards to the fact that some churches charge for a camp or a retreat, or it begs the question that I have in my mind when I think about money and ministry and, and being in leadership and putting on events and all this stuff. The question is, what is an annual amount of money you expect parents to pay to be involved in your youth ministry? 
Think about that question. Sometimes, so in other words, adding up all the retreats, all the camps, what, what's a family paying for their student to be right. involved? We sometimes overlook that cost. How are we placing that burden onto the families? Are we expecting them to pay the three, four, five hundred dollars for camp and the two hundred dollars for the retreat? And we're going to have this small uh, gathering, which is another thirty-five dollars. And then we want them to bring food for this one gathering, so that's another ten dollars. And then we have all these different costs throughout the year for their student their children to participate in your youth ministry. And have we figured out what that cost is? What are we placing on them as a family to budget for? And I asked that question because we're talking about fundraising. We're talking about leveraging what we're given. And we may think, oh, I have a small budget, so I'm just going to keep putting that burden onto the families of the, the children. And then you go, well, why aren't people showing up? Or why aren't they signing up? And why are they not involved? And all this stuff. And if we have this producer mentality, you go, I'm going to try to lower the burden on the family and almost eliminate that burden and be able to provide those events at a lower cost, a much lower cost. And when you start to do that, you, you see families wanting to get more involved in these events and into your youth ministry because there isn't this massive burden on their budget. One of the things to consider is, could you have an annual meeting with your parents and you lay out the trips of the year and you share the vision of why this is an investment? I think the other part of that is that a lot of times when we talk to parents, we say, well, this it's going to cost you this. And we use maybe terms that are somewhat negative and says saying, this is an investment. If your student goes to this event, if they go on this trip, if they do this overnighter with us, if they're involved in what we're doing in the summer, wherever we might go, a camp or retreat or whatever, this is an investment into your student. I know as a parent for me, one of the things I spend the most on for us is um, when it comes to like, you know, unique investments and, and costs is a good vacation every year because it's a memory. It's an investment into our family. And I try to get parents to, to see like, here's the cost for an annual, for our, you know, annual expenses if they did everything, but understand the investment. And, you know, at NTS Camp, in our network, we talk about that all the time with our youth pastors is that you you have to be a spreader of that vision to parents and families to go, yeah, this camp is so much money or this event is so much money, but it's an investment and that investment will never end. You know, we know that working with families, they're spending hundreds of dollars uh, sometimes for one week for a sports camp or some other band camp or whatever, and they're in leagues and and different activities, and and those things aren't cheap. And it's funny how when it comes to church things, uh, we expect it to be different, but it's an investment, and we need to help parents. We need to, to give them the vision. Don't expect them to get it automatically, but you need to help them understand the vision for that. Hey, I'm Justin Warrens, and I am on staff at a church in Metro Detroit, and I joined up with Never the Same Camp about five years ago when I was a youth pastor at this church, and I have loved our experience there for our students and our leaders, the partnership that we have formed, the momentum that we have gained in our ministry, uh, not just in the summer, but throughout the year has been catalytic. We love how NTS pours into our leaders and our students, and that as we join with NTS, 
podcast together, we come back uh, ignited for our school year. Even things like CYC, which is Claim Your Campus, has been an incredible way to see our student leaders grow in their faith and increase in their prayer life inside of their schools. So uh, as a church that has a movement uh, of a growing uh, connection of young uh, students on a multi-site campus, it has been a gift to us. So let's transition into answering some of these questions that I asked at the beginning of this episode, finding out what the students have said about the questions that we pose to them. It's in the research that we've done, over 3,000 students, where we ask these questions across the country, across different demographics. We asked about money, and that's why we're talking about money today, because we asked them four questions. And the first question that we asked them was, for you, what do you think would be an ideal salary? Man, that's a good question. I can't wait to see what these. I wonder if youth pastors and youth leaders are going. Oh man, definitely six figures. Do you think that's the? That'd be nice. That'd be nice. So we asked students this question: What were the options? What what options do they have for? We have thirty-five thousand to fifty thousand. Okay, that's that's one. That's one range. We have fifty thousand to sixty-five thousand, sixty-five thousand to eighty thousand, eighty thousand to ninety-five thousand, and ninety-five thousand and up. Okay, so 95000 up, that's option five. So you ask 3,000 students this question, what's your ideal salary? I mean, it seems pretty obvious they're going to pick 95000 up, I would think, and that's the highest, right? Of course, everybody would want to make the most money. That would be the mentality that we think these students want, right? I would think so. Well, that's where we get blown away because that is not the case. The actual... Top answer it, with 44% of the respondents is 65000 to 80000 Are you serious? Yeah. 65000 to 80000 which is the middle of the road of what we were asking them. 65000 to $80,000 would be their ideal salary. That's unbelievable. So they didn't even pick the highest salary amount? No. Wow. That, to me, that's so shocking. I can't believe that. You would even think that... 80,000 to 95,000 that seems pretty I mean that's pretty good. Like that's right. Right. So they picked they picked the amount that was right in the middle of the five options as far as the amount. Yeah, 44%. Now we also ask adults this question. I'm curious to know what adults are thinking. So we ask adults, what do you think students would say is the ideal salary? What are the adults saying? Well, I'm looking here at the data and it says that uh, adults are saying that students would say the 95000 up, which is what we thought. Yep. 57% are saying that's what they thought students would answer. So by far the highest uh, choice there. And yet um, students are, it's not, it doesn't seem to be as important. Now, maybe when you look at this, you can think, well, maybe they don't understand the cost of living. Maybe they don't know what it takes to, you know, you know, to have money or whatever. But, but I'm thinking, why wouldn't you just pick the top answer? I think that's, there's something to that that's really fascinating to me. That the students aren't just saying, I want to make money, like right. the most money Give possible. Me the most, yeah. yeah. That's, that is what the world is communicating. And so when we see this as the answer is less than the most, 65 to 80, that seems a reasonable amount to live your life on. It gives us the insight into, okay, maybe they're not all about the money. And so we... We move on and we ask them, what are you most interested in when you think about your career? 
you would think the career that is steady and offers security or a career that will make me wealthy, a career that serves a greater purpose or a career that is centered around something I am passionate about. And so we just talked about that the students did not choose the highest amount of money to make for their ideal salary. And once again, one of the lowest answers is a career that will make me wealthy. So, so you mentioned are, the five responses here. So yep, four responses. What do you okay? What are you most interested in when you think about your career? So they could have said one that's steady and offers security, one that will make me wealthy, one that serves a greater purpose, or one that's centered around something I'm passionate about. So they wealthy was towards the bottom of the list, right? Less than ten percent. Okay, yes. and then where we go from there? What's next? Probably because we we are working with a generation that wants to make a difference. The social justice, the look at the world, and how can I bring about uh, change? So I would think serving a greater purpose would be the top answer, but that still is not the top answer. Oh, wow. So greater purpose isn't number one then. No. A career that is centered around something I'm passionate about, 66% have answered that. Wow. So two out of three. Yeah. They want to do something that they are passionate about, which in my mind, as somebody who is working with youth, that when you are guiding students that are leading them and giving them direction on where, what to do with their lives, are we guiding them to make the most money, to just simply get a job, to just grab one that provides the most security or, or really know what they're passionate about and just say, pursue that because that's what they want. They want something that they are passionate about because when you are passionate about it, it, it no longer becomes a job. And you're looking at this too, like what are you most interested in? You're saying only 9% of students are saying a career that, that makes me money, that makes me wealthy. And again, adults' response, what do you think students are saying? 38% of them think that students are looking for a career to make them wealthy. So again, uh, we need to be careful to to not project our beliefs. So if we're assuming that students are saying, hey, I'm looking for something to make the most money, it's actually not that important to students. So we need to understand that as we're working with them when they think about their thoughts about down the road in their career. Another question that we asked, it was more of a, a statement. My view of money is that it is blank. A means to an end, generally good, generally bad. I've never thought about my view of money. And there wasn't a ton of interest in this. I would say close to 49% uh, students responded that it's generally good. Almost 20, 27% answered that. I've never really thought about my view of money. Um, 11% said it's just a means to an end. And almost 13% said it was generally bad. So there wasn't a ton, but the top answer is that money is good. Okay. And then the last question you mentioned is, how important is money to your overall satisfaction in life? Yes. Overall satisfaction. Where does it play? Is it very important? Is it somewhat important? Is it neither important or unimportant? Is it somewhat unimportant? Is it very unimportant? What do you think it is? Oh, view of money to overall satisfaction in life. Well, hearing the trends now, I would say probably, well, let's say, I guess it's maybe not, not that important. I don't know. I would think it would, based on the trend, that they would say it's not that important. But they still say it's somewhat important. So money is, again, it plays into 
our satisfaction in life. It plays into our passions. It plays into what we can do with in our ministry. It is a tool, whether we think it's good or bad, it is a, a tool to be used. When you have maybe the majority of people thinking that that money is the the root of evil, that is probably one of the most uh, misquoted scripture verses where it's not the money, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. And so we can sometimes be misled into thinking that money is bad. We should not have a good view of it. We should just try to avoid being greedy. But it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil, not all evil. And following that trend again, uh, adults are saying uh, their response to the question, how important is money to your overall satisfaction in life? Their response about what they think students are saying is that 64% are saying it's very important. So almost two out of three of adults are saying students are going to answer that, that money is very important to overall satisfaction when students are saying it's important, but it's not my top priority. So again, we're seeing a trend in this research, it sounds like, where adults think that money is so much more important, and to students it really isn't. In our next episode, we are going to talk to a stockbroker who is approached and is asked to give his money all the time. So we ask the question, how do you approach someone like that? Someone with a lot of money, and he has some answers for us. If you've ever wanted to know how to improve or how to get more resources for your students and talk to people about giving, you're going to want to hear what he has to say. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.